thou art the God that doest wonders. When you talk about something that is a wonder, you're referring to something that is beyond your ability to, to truly comprehend and certainly far beyond your ability to replicate. Um, I, I enjoy being outdoors and, and just observing, and I never get tired, seriously. In fact, I think my appreciation for it only increases the more I'm exposed to it. I never get tired of amazing sunsets or sunrises. And uh, when I see that and see what God is able to paint in the sky over and over again, and uh, with all of our technological advances, we can't begin to replicate that kind of beauty, uh, that kind of awesome power. And I look at that and I say, God, you do wonderful things. You do wondrous things. I look at new life. And uh, every time we have a baby added to West Valley, I never get bored with it. Now, I'm thankful they're not mine anymore. I mean, <laughs> do you miss it? Kind of, but we're good. <laughs> no, it's wonderful every time. Like, oh, it's another baby. No, that's life. And through the creation and the design of God, new life is brought into the world. I look at that and I say, God, you do wonders. Then I look at this. I look at what God can do to change people's lives and help people, and how his truth can transform people and can help them. I look at what the gospel does for people, and this is what I say to that. You are the God that does wonders. Your work is so far above and so great. Notice the last half of the verse. Thou hast declared thy strength among the people, asking myself, how does that happen? Well, and one, one way that that happens is that we experience it. And this morning, I'd like you to ask yourself this question and, ju and just think about it. In what way have I experienced the wonderful work of God in my life? And, and be honest about it. it. There's always hard things. Are you with me? There's always hard things. Yes, no. There's always hard things. Times when we're failed or times when we fail. But look to him and look at what he does wonderfully. Look at what he's done wonderfully in your life. And then that should motivate us to do this, to worship him. When we recognize that you are the God that doest, that dost, that does wonders, then we want to give to you something we give to no one else. And that's our worship. That is humbling ourselves and simply acknowledging God Thank you for being a God that does wonderful things. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for helping me. Thank you for allowing me to enjoy all of this. So as we do every Sunday morning, if you would, please make the effort to either bow your head. You can come to the altar and kneel. You can kneel there in your seat. But let's spend some time calling upon the God who does wonders. And after a few moments, I'll close us in public prayer. So however you would desire to do it, let's make sure to give God what only he deserves.
Heavenly Father, we're so grateful to come to you in the name of Jesus Christ and to come boldly before your throne of grace and to acknowledge that you are the God that does wonderful things. You do wonders. And we're grateful to benefit from them and to acknowledge them. We're grateful for the salvation that you've provided through Jesus. We're grateful for the life that you allow, for the order of creation, for the way you call forth the sun and the moon and the, the galaxies and you know the stars by name, the way you bring forth new life over and over through the processes that you created. God, we're thankful for that. And I guess the greatest wonder of all is that you would love us and that we could know you not just from a distance, but as a child, knowing it's Father, God, we can have that kind of relationship with you. So I pray that today you would do wonders in our hearts and that you would help us to look to you and worship you and to love you as only you deserve. Please meet with us this day in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand together as Brother Nate comes and leads us in our first song. Let's sing together, oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing, my great Redeemer's praise, the glories of my God and King, the triumphs of His grace. My gracious Master and my God, assist me to proclaim, to spread through all the earth abroad the honors of thy name. Jesus, the name that charms our fears, that bids our sorrows cease. Tis music in the sinner's ears, tis life and health and breaks the power of canceled sin, he sets the prisoner free, his blood can make the foulest clean, his blood availed for me. Hear him, ye deaf, his praise ye dumb, your loosened tongues employ, ye blind behold the Savior come, and leap ye lame for joy. Amen. That is a great song about just singing the praise of Jesus. No matter who you are, no matter what your situation is, he is worthy of our praise. Let's sing together. Burdens are lifted at Calvary. Days are filled with sorrow and care. Hearts are lonely and drear. Burdens are lifted at Calvary. Jesus is very near. Burdens are lifted at Calvary. Calvary, Calvary. Burdens are lifted at Calvary. Jesus is very near. Cast your care on Jesus today. Leave your worry and fear. 
seated. My, what a wonderful song that was. Aren't you glad that burdens are lifted at Calvary? I remember as the the first time I sang that, uh, I was in the youth group. We were uh, were doing teen church at the time, and uh, I think Ashlyn said, I'm going to play this song, and I'm going to and I didn't know I didn't know that song, but I knew that you know just going by the tune, and it was like so true. Burdens are lifted at Calvary. Oh, I'm trying to catch myself while singing that song. I'm like, oh, all right. Mark 12:41, and Jesus sat over against the treasury, and beheld. Now the people cast money into the treasury, and many that were rich cast in much. And there came a certain poor widow, and she threw in two mites, which make far uh, make a farling farthing farthing. And he called unto him his disciples, and saith unto them, Verily I say unto you, that this poor widow hath cast cast more in them all, them than all that were that which have cast into the treasury. And so, the idea here is giving from the heart, and so we see that this lady, this wi- poor widow wi- woman, uh, cast in two mites, which is far less than what the rich people were casting in, but, it ga- but she gave all that she had, and so the idea is giving from the heart. When we learn to give from the heart, we tend to give more than what, we're, what we're, re- we're required to give. God requires of us to give 10% of our, of our income, but when this, uh, but when we give from the heart, it's amazing because as a little child, I didn't even know, I, I didn't know anything about ten percent. But when I gave from, you know, as a child from my heart, I looked back at it. I was like, wow, you know, I I know I gave a lot more than just that ten percent. And today, as we give today, let's just think about giving from the heart.
call bell for the offering at this time. Brother Dave, could you play, pray for the offering? Father in heaven, we do thank you, Lord, for uh, allowing us to meet and worship you as your children. Father, we do pray and ask you to you would receive this offering and bless it. Spread it for many ways that it needs in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Wow, what a great start to the morning. Amen. What a great start to the morning. Listen, I, I'm encouraged by last week. We had, I'm glad that Pastor and the family are back, and we've we missed them for sure. But I'll tell you what, in the last week, we got to hear Brother Cook preach. We got to hear Brother Z preach a wonderful message. And then we got to hear also Brother Chad Adams preach. And man, I tell you, that message he, pre he preached, uh, Chad sat, sat with me with regards to prayer and the criteria of prayer. And really taking yourself out of it and being specific with God Amen. and really accepting what God has for us, whether it's what we want or not. And that, that really set with me. And uh, just what a blessing. Pastor, it's good to have you back. Uh, good to have the family back. And I'm glad you guys had a wonderful trip. Those that are watching on via Facebook or YouTube, welcome to the service this morning. Guests, we are always glad to have you Amen. in service. Amen. And, you know, as I was coming over this morning... I, have you guys ever ridden down the road, and if you're by yourself, and you turn the music up, you listen to some good Christian music, and it, if somebody were to drive by you, it looked like you'd sing to 100 people. Well, that's me in the car, <laughs> singing my joyful noise to myself, yes. and there was a song on this morning, and uh, Lord, I need you is the name of the song. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need, oh, Lord, I need you. Every hour, I need you. My one defense and my righteousness. Yes. Oh, God, I need you. I tell you what. It just, you know, we go through this routine of coming to church every morning, every Sunday, and it's just routine. But that song this morning had me, I got excited about getting to church this morning. So just great to be here. A couple announcements this morning. Uh, starting October, obviously, I got the dates wrong last week, so I apologize. But starting uh, next Sunday, we have our missions conference, Brother Dean Herring's preaching. And uh, the theme of that is Brighter at Home is the theme of the missions conference. And we have about five food sign-up sheets out in the foyer, and there's only a few names on that sign-up sheet, and I know there's several people, Brother Fiavai being one, that likes to eat, and so we need food, and we need people to sign up and uh, be an encouragement and just be a blessing to the missions conference, if you would. There's also some uh, vacancies on the, on the nursery worker sheet as well, so again, pray about that, and if you feel, if you, uh, feel moved to be a part of that, please sign up for that. And uh, I believe that's it. Uh, you know, guests, please see me if you have anything uh, after the service. See myself or one of the staff members. Again, we're, we're so happy that you're here. As a token of our appreciation, there's a book that we'd like to give you uh, entitled When You Can't Just Get Over It. And again, it's been a blessing. Like I mentioned last week, we, I, had a, I had a brother, a uh, second-time guest that, come, that came to me at the, at the booth, and, and he mentioned what an encouragement the book has been to him. And so... Uh, that, that's what we're trying to do is just be an encouragement to Treasure Valley, and, and we thank you for your participation and service today. Please stand. Brother Nate will lead us in more song. Amen. Because he lives, we can face tomorrow. Let's sing this together. God sent his son. They called him Jesus. He came to
second look I know that I know it went back up but can we go back and sing that first verse again and then go acapella on the course this is a good song it's an encouraging song I'll say it again it's a good song so let's lift it up to the Lord and when you get to that course even if you don't know the verse just lift it up with all of your heart God sent his son they called him Jesus he singing. Thank you, Brother Nate. So thankful that we get to praise God. Let's open our Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 15. 1 Samuel chapter 15. I'm excited. I am excited about the missions conference that begins next Sunday, Brother Dean Herring. Uh, because of the uh, shutdown that, that we experienced, uh, some of our missionaries ability to be here uh, became impossible and uh, we had to we had to change direction and I had a couple of different ideas and uh, none of them would work out and and the Lord the Lord really I, I feel like I was impressed upon to re- focus the attention just on here locally and what we don't want to be guilty of is expecting missionaries to do things that we're not doing and yet you've heard the quote before Perhaps the light that shines the farthest shines the brightest at home. And if we want to continue to be a blessing to missionaries, and I want to encourage you with this, this church isn't a blessing to missionaries. No, it is. And that's not God, praise be to God, but I'm thankful for the generosity of his people that allows us to be a blessing to missionary. And I was talking with the trustees yesterday, we're able to have missionaries in and we bless them. And it's, and it's because of the goodness and grace of God. And I'm thankful for that. And we get to have a part in stuff going on in South America, in Europe, in Africa, in Asia, um, all over the place, whatever else I left out of there. It's exciting to get to do that. But that will eventually die out if that light isn't shining here as well. And so that's, that's what the focus is on this year. And I'm stoked about it. I'm excited about it. And Brother Dean Herring preaches to our kids at youth camp uh, every year. 
and I'm excited about him preaching. He has a heart and much experience for the things that I've asked him uh, to speak about, and then we'll be renewing our missions commitment, and uh, so I'm, I'm excited about all those things. And then one more thing, I am thankful to be home. I'll say more about the time away tonight, but it never, it never bothers me to hear that God worked while I was gone, <laughs> because I know this, and, and don't get nervous about this. Don't get nervous at all about what I'm, what I'm about to say. I am a temporary fixture, meaning God's church is bigger than one person. Okay, now when I say I'm temporary, this is what I'm hoping for. 40 years, if you can put up with me that long, 30 years. Some of you are like, please just do 20. Okay, whatever. I mean, you talk to the Lord. Hey, brother, talk about prayer. You just pray about that. <laughs> but I, I recognize that God's work is bigger than my one person's life here mine yours whoever but also this i don't want i don't want the work of god to be limited to a personality this church doesn't need to be built on one particular individual other than the lord jesus christ and so man god's word is good no matter who's given it and so don't don't think that when god speaks like oh we better not tell pastor that was really good while he was gone that's what i want to happen Amen. Okay, a couple of you believe me. <laughs> it's all good, and I'm, I'm thankful for that. So I had a change, of course, in the preaching. Um, but we'll get back to Hosea, uh, the Lord willing, in a few weeks. On Sunday morning, I still want to finish up that thought, uh, but I really want to spend this day and then perhaps Wednesday getting ready for the missions conference and specifically preparing our heart to have some revival in it and preparing our hearts for God to work in us. And so that's what we're going to be looking at and uh, dealing with some of these things. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, if you'd look at verse number 24, we'll deal with what has happened in the first part of this chapter. I just want to read a few verses to understand the context of what we're dealing with this morning. And Saul, who was the king of Israel at the time, said unto Samuel, who was a primary prophet of God at the time, Saul said unto Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and thy words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now, therefore, I pray thee, pardon my sin and turn again with me that I may worship the Lord. Now, a king is speaking to a prophet. I've done wrong. I sinned. Here's why I sinned. Would you please worship God with me? And the expectation would be, yeah, man, God forgives. Aren't you thankful for that? He does forgive. Okay, we got to be with this. He does forgive. And so you're thinking the prophet's going to say to the king, great, praise the Lord. I'm glad you admitted you sinned. Let's go worship God. But that's not what happens. Verse 26, and Samuel said unto Saul, I will not return with thee, for thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord hath rejected thee from being king over Israel. And Samuel turned about to go away, excuse me, and as Samuel turned about to go away, he, referring to Saul, laid hold upon the skirt of his mantle, and it rent. And Samuel said unto him, The Lord hath rent the kingdom of Israel from thee this day, 
and have given it to a neighbor of thine that is better than thou. And also the strength of Israel will not lie nor repent, for he is not a man that he should repent. Then he said, referring to Saul, I have sinned, yet honor me now, I pray thee, before the elders of my people and before Israel, and turn again with me that I may worship the Lord thy God. So Samuel turned after Saul, and Saul worshiped the Lord. But then I want you to go down to verse number 35, and Samuel came no more to see Saul until the day of his death. The thought, the title of the message this morning is this, Motion Without Matter. Motion Without Matter. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we get to be here. Already grateful, Father, for the time, for how you stir us, for how you're being aware of you and your goodness stirs us. And Father, you know that we are needy people, beginning with me, everyone here in one form or another, we need you. And so, God, I pray for your grace and for your mercy and that you would speak to us. And God, that you would use this to help us, not just in preparation for the week that's coming, but you would help us in in our own life, that this would help us to take an evaluation of why we are doing the things that we currently are as it relates to these outward religious motions. And Lord, I pray that it wouldn't discourage us, but that it would help us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Thanks so much for standing. My brother Joshua is two years younger than I am, and he has a particular skill set that completely passed over me. I'm two years older than him, and this particular set of skills um, hurtled me, didn't even come close to me and landed significantly on my brother. And, and that has to do with construction and uh, the skill of building things and remodeling things. My brother's built a couple of houses. He owns a remodeling business and where he builds from scratch or he goes in and he remodels. And he's there in Nevada, Missouri, where he helps my dad at the church, and then he owns his own company. He does an amazing job, and the business is going well because of how hard he works and because of the quality of work that he does. We had the opportunity before I moved here, before our family moved here, we were living in the same town, going to the same church in Oklahoma. And there was a particular work day where a major renovation was going on on a part of the on a part of the outside structure and on the roof, and we had scaffolding set up, and I was on staff at the church, and my brother was working in the field that he's working in now, and his boss there was overseeing this project, and so they had asked for several volunteers, and so myself and other staff guys and then several lay people in the church, we all gathered there, and we're just helping out however we can. Well, my brother had very, spe- had very specific parts that he was doing because of his skill set, because it was his boss that was running the operation and he trusted him. And so my brother has a certain part that he's doing. And I was there as well. And I'm just trying to be involved. Now, some of you might not be able to relate to this, but I know that some of you can. You're volunteering for something that you know you stink at. And so you're trying to be busy. But you know... <laughs> You're not really contributing a whole lot. (laughs) Okay, if this is hurting your feelings, I'm sorry. Get over it. (laughs) This was true for me. (laughs) 
So man, I'm up and down that scaffolding. I'm grabbing tools. I'm willing to be a gopher. I'm trying to help. I'm just, I'm all over the place. There was work happening in all sort in, in several different parts of the, of the facility. And so I'm just, I'm up and down. I'm in, I'm out. I'm just, I'm all over the place trying to be productive, trying to help. And when my helpfulness runs out over here, which happened very quickly, I would come over here and I would try to do something over here. And it's not, it's not for an a lack of effort. It's not for a lack of a willingness to work. Just certain things click in certain people's minds that don't click in mine. And some of you might be thinking, well, there's a lot that doesn't seem to click in your mind, and that's fine. You can think that, whatever. The point being that on that day, I was as in motion as anyone else was. You with me? I was moving, busy, holding tools doing stuff my uh, my brother's boss who was also a deacon at the church and a, and a friend of mine he said this to my brother man he sure was in motion a lot i'm not sure what he did all day <laughs> it was motion without substance motion without matter you know, the definition of the word matter being the the substantive thing that has value that has importance here in our text god had commanded saul to go and, to battle and to wipe out the amalekites and remember that saul as the king is at the top of the social food chain, and he's ruling over a nation that is ascending. It's, it's on the rise. Israel is God's chosen people. They are ascending in power, and God's blessing, God had chosen Saul on purpose, and God's blessing um, had been with Saul, but Saul has made some bad decisions, and he has this one opportunity to prove his loyalty to the Lord and his willingness to submit himself and so through the prophet Samuel, God tells Saul, you need to go to war with, with this, this nation, and you need to completely wipe them out. And we need to remember this, that no matter how much we have and no matter how high we rise, God always has the right to tell us how to live our lives. We never become so powerful, we never become so wealthy, we never become so successful or profitable, we never become so experienced that God no longer has authority to tell us how we should live how we should think, how we should act as his children. In fact, that's why we have the word of God, is to give those directives. And so God tells Saul, you need to take your army and you need to go to war with these people and you need to completely wipe them out. Now, another concern of this passage is the brutality of this command. And let's just be honest about it. There, there are times when we read certain narratives from scripture and they are brutal. It's not that they seem brutal, they are brutal. And uh, war is brutal. And, and please understand this. I, you know me, for those of you that have been here for any length of time, I am as pro-military as they come, and I am pro-law enforcement, all of those things. There is, there is nothing good about violent force. It, that, that's not something to be glamorized and to be loved. It is necessary, however, in a world where there are evil people that want to destroy and want to harm. And you say, why would God, why would God give such a brutal command? Look at, 
Look down at verse 33. Samuel is dealing with Agag, the king of the Amalekites. And, he, and this is what Samuel said to him. As thy sword hath made women childless, so shall thy mother be childless among women. And then the prophet goes on and kills Agag as Saul, as Saul should have done. Here's the truth about Agag. Here's the truth about the Amalekites. They were a wicked, godless people who destroyed innocent life. And war was God's mean of dealing with their unnecessary and unwarranted violence. And so God gave that command. So this idea that, man, God is just unfair and the God of the Old Testament is brutal and mean and ugly. No, that's not, a, that's not the case at all. God, both Old Testament and New Testament, he's always been a God of grace. Hallelujah. But there is a point when wickedness must be dealt with by force because people won't be reasoned with. And so God dealt with it. And he gave Saul this command. You destroy everything. You destroy it all. Well, Saul... He goes to war, they enjoy a great victory, but Saul keeps alive Agag the king and then the best of the flocks. You've got to imagine how happy Saul is as he's coming home. He's on his way to meet Samuel. He's enjoyed this convincing victory and you just put yourself in his position. You're feeling good about life. Your losses have been minimal. Dominant victory. You've got the king in tow, the defeated king. You've got the best of their livestock, and you are on your way to celebrate. And then you see Samuel, the prophet who delivered God's message to you, and you're thinking, this is going to be good. Man, you're like, you know, you know how it is when you're convinced you've done a good job and the people that you're reporting to you're like, they're going to be so impressed with me. Okay. I have presumed many times to my own detriment that people would be impressed with me, and they weren't. And I understand now as I get older and more mature, I understand why they, they weren't. But you presume, yeah, man, y'all, y'all are going to be impressed. And Samuel wasn't impressed at all. In fact, he told Saul this, without going back and reading all of it, he told Saul this, listen, I, I told, God told you to go and destroy everything, but you've saved the king alive, and you've saved the flocks alive. And he gives this verse, obedience is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. And he makes this statement, that rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. You, you see, Saul was claiming that he saved the flocks in order to give sacrifice to God. But what God cares more about than these big elaborate outward expressions, he cares about submission and obedience in the small details of your life. He's not interested in the big show that you can put on to the exclusion of obeying him in the simple basic commands. It's kind of the overall point. And you think you're doing God some great service? Can I, re- can I remind you of what, Saul remind, or what Samuel reminded Saul? God doesn't need your big elaborate demonstrations. Does, is he worthy of them? Yes. Can he use them? Yes. But what he desires is a heart that is humble before him, a heart that loves him, and a heart that is willing to submit to him in every area that he demands it. 
And so he tells Saul, you're so impressed with yourself, but God is not pleased with you because you have disobeyed a command about which there was no ambiguity. It was crystal clear what you were told to do. It was explained in very certain terms. There is no way to misunderstand what God expected, and yet you disobeyed. You think another thing, ask ask myself this question, why would... Why would Saul keep alive Agag when God told him to deal with that violent, wretched leader? Why would Saul keep him alive? Because in that day, vanquished foes were like trophies. In fact, you read in biblical, different biblical narratives, and you, you can confirm this in other historical sources, that oftentimes superpower kings would keep alive their vanquished kings and would feed them at their own tables. And every day, it was, like, it was a reminder that you've been conquered, and now you are being provided for. And so he keeps Agag alive, not to bring honor to God. He keeps Agag alive because it's like, it's like a mount on his wall. It's like a trophy. It's like a picture of something that he's conquered. Hey, look at what I did. This isn't about bringing glory to himself. This is, or excuse me, glory to God. It's about lifting up himself. He references in verse number 24, I feared the people and obeyed their voice. But there's no indication in the text that the people overwhelmingly put pressure on Saul to keep the flocks alive. In fact, we find in other accounts about Saul that even when the people were asking him to obey God, he was doing whatever it was that he wanted. So what we find here is a man who is going through significant motion, and yet there are obvious holes in his heart, in private areas, in smaller areas of his life. Now, someone might look at this and say, look, what's the big deal about this? He obeyed God most of the way. You understand that Jesus didn't die for most of the way obedience. When, if, if, if you are going to be the right kind of parent to your children, you don't settle for partial obedience. I'm not saying you don't affirm them, but you better challenge them on where they're not obeying. Like, well, you did mostly good. Jesus didn't die for mostly good obedience. No, I'm not talking about a works-based salvation because we can't earn our salvation. But God's expectations for his children once they're saved is that you submit to me and that you obey me. And Saul has obeyed in, in this very big area. He's done a lot of what God said, but he hasn't done all that God had said. And God has a right in his holiness and in his righteousness to not accept what is not done his way. Oh, come on, please think about this. We don't get to decide what is acceptable to God. That's a problem with a whole lot of what's going on in, in secular Christianity today is that the, the, the creation is trying to decide what God should accept rather than, rather than believing the truth of his word and saying, God, this is what's acceptable to you. This is why we see so much deviation in sexual areas, in gender areas, when there once was no controversy about this. 
It's understand that a, a physical, a sexual relationship should be reserved for a man and his wife, for a woman and her husband. And that's the only place for it. But we begin to deviate from that. And we begin to have this, well, listen, you can't really put these kinds of restrictions on people. I'm not putting any restriction on anybody. These are the designs of the creator. He creates men and he creates women. But we get further and further away from that. And now you have church leaders saying that any kind of expression is okay. You can be whatever you want. And we are deviating away from the truth that you have to buy into. God gets to tell us how to live. He does. And so he's told Saul, you need to obey. And, and Saul doesn't obey. As a result, he's rejected from being king. Samuel eventually goes back and worships with him. And I, I don't have time this morning to get into all the reason why he did that. I read you verse 35 to show you that Samuel never went back and interacted with Saul, but he continued to pray for him. He loved him. And in fact, in the next verse of chapter 16, verse 1, God says to Samuel, how long are you going to mourn for Saul? The reason I believe Samuel went back and worshiped with Saul after initially refusing to do so was not affirmation of him because he's already told him, you're not going to be king forever. God has taken that from you and from your family. He did that because he genuinely loved Saul and wanted to show him one last kindness. Well, Samuel refused initially to go and sacrifice with Saul because it was obvious that Saul was wanting to worship for the wrong reason. Notice in verse number, uh, verse number 25, he admits that he sinned in verse 24. Now therefore I pray thee pardon my sin and turn again with me that I may worship the Lord. Samuel refuses to, then he says in verse number 30, I have sinned, yet honor me now I pray thee before the elders of my people. Saul wasn't concerned with being right with God. This is really interesting. He uses the right vernacular. I hear someone say anything like what Saul says, and this is what I think. Man, you're serious. You're trying to be right with God. Praise the Lord. I have sinned. I've done wrong. That's the first step, isn't it? That's the first step to salvation. I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. Jesus has done everything that's necessary. I'm, I'm accepting him. He's, he's using the right terminology, but it's obvious that what's motivating him is wrong. Here's what he's concerned about. He's more concerned about what other people think about him. He's not, he's not going through the religious motions as an expression of a deeper spiritual life. He's going through the religious motion to protect his, his position and his perception among the people. That's what he's more concerned about. I am concerned about doing these things. Okay, look, fine. I'll admit that I sinned. Now, you know how that is, right? <laughs> I, I, I had this, a lot, this kind of interaction with my parents a lot when I was growing up. Okay, I can't do what I want to do until I admit they're right. Okay, 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 I was wrong. You with me? 
It's not genuine, Dad. I really recognized how I was disrespectful. I really recognized how I was irresponsible. In my mind, I'm thinking, you're old. Let me do what I want to do. Okay, that, I'm joking around here. Y'all relax, please. I have a great relationship with my mom and dad. And stop acting like you've never thought ridiculous things yourself. Like, come on, mom and dad. Okay, 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 fine. You're right. Now, I'm going to go ahead and meddle and have a little fun with this. Some of you husbands do the same thing. Okay, babe. Just fine, 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 fine. You're right. Let me watch the game. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Brother Max. I don't know where Miss Carrie is. She's serving the Lord somewhere. <laughs> fine, 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 fine. You're right. It, this wasn't humility. This was Saul understanding I, in, order for the, in order for the worship, the act, not the heart, in order for the act to be validated, in order for it to have the proper authorization, I need Samuel's involvement. Remember, he's already gotten in trouble for worshiping without Samuel, for doing things out of order. He's already gotten in trouble for that, for his presumptuousness. And so now he's simply saying to Samuel, okay, okay, fine, I sinned. Oh, you want me to say it again? I've sinned. I've done it. I'm wrong. Can we please just go do this so that the people will honor me and so that I will be vindicated and so that I will be validated? You see, he has the religious motion down, but he's using it rather than as a means to honor God. He's using it as a vehicle to hide his own sin and to maintain credibility with the people. Now look, don't, don't make this mistake. This is not an indictment of the religious motion. The religious motion of sacrificing was created by God, given from God, and could be and should have been used for God. But it's an indictment on Saul when the motion was used to cover up or exalt himself instead of using it for the purpose which it was given, which is to reveal a heart for God. Now, some people would ask this question, was Saul saved? Personally, I believe he was, but that's irrelevant to this point. Here's the more important question. Did Saul live like he was saved? And the answer to that is a resounding no. Saul was told to obey God, and he didn't. Then when it came time to go through the religious motion of worshiping God, he wanted to use that as an expression of loyalty to God when his life indicated you are not loyal to me. You see, he had the public motion, but without the private matter, without the real spiritual life. And he wanted to use this act of worship to cover up what he was neglecting here. Here's the truth. Many of God's people have lots of religious motion with sometimes very little spiritual matter in their lives. We settle for it today. This wasn't just a problem in the Old Testament. It's a problem in the New Testament. You ready? Two quick examples. James 1.22. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. You know what hearing the word of God is? It's a public motion. It is a religious motion. That verse is not a condemnation of the religious motion. It is a condemnation of people who think 
that's all that God cares about is that we assemble and we go through the religious, the public motions that God has ordained. It's not an indictment of the motion. It is an indictment of people who would use the motion to cover up what is lacking. And James is telling God's people, it is of no value to you to go through the religious motion, but then to not allow that truth to affect the way you're living your life. You are deceived if you think there's value in it. You go to Revelation 3.20. Jesus said this to the church at Laodicea. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. You know, a lot of times that verse is used as a salvation verse. And I'm, I'm thankful for the imagery there, but that's not a verse about salvation. That's a verse about a local church that had lots of religious motion, but Jesus Christ was left out of it. You say, how does that happen? It's because we're more concerned about the motion than real spiritual life. And what's going on here is not an accurate indication of what is going on in other areas of our life. We live here like we're obeying God. But then in our lives, I'm not talking about sinlessness. Okay, okay everybody take a breath and look at me. Anybody here perfect? Come on, put them up. Don't worry about it. It's all good. I won't judge. No, I'm kidding. I will. <laughs> Okay, anybody here not perfect? Well, hands. Some of y'all are afraid to raise your hands on that one. I don't, I don't want them to know. No, not, not, we're, we're not talking about perfection. Okay, you understand that. We all need forgiveness on a regular basis. We all have to go through the process of making things right. But we can live our lives in such a way that it's not about the daily struggle to allow Christ to reign in our lives. It's, it's not about that. It is about deliberately using religious motion to conceal what we are doing privately. And that's what Saul was doing. I can use this public religious worship to compensate for how I'm not obeying God. And this is what God said, I won't accept it. This is what God says to saints in James, that you are deceiving yourself. This is what God said to the church at Laodicea. You have lots of religious motion, but I will spew you out of my mouth. Here's the truth. Please get this. It is impossible to have spiritual life that does not produce spiritual motion. Meaning this, if you have spiritual life, it's going to produce motion. And you know what I love this morning? The motion of singing. Because he lives. How many of you enjoyed singing that song? Okay, how many of you thought of something specific that is a challenge to you right now that that truth comforted or encouraged your heart about? Say amen to that. Because he lived. I think about that verse. I, I, I always am moved at this verse. How sweet to hold a newborn babe and feel the pride and joy he gives. But greater still the calm assurance that child can face uncertain days because Christ lives. I think about what our children, meaning our children, are facing in as our culture moves further and further away from God. And it's concerning. It's unnerving. It is challenging. And yet because he lives, I know that he loves my kids even more than I love my children, more than you love your children. And he's going to take care of it all. Hallelujah. That's, it. That's an encouraging truth. And so we sing that out. You know what that is? That's religious motion yeah i had no problem with brother vi being stirred up this morning we need to be stirred up 
We're not afraid of emotion. We're not afraid of motion. I want God's people, I want God's men and God's women to be able to have a heart that is sensitive enough to be moved and to be stirred up, to raise their hand, to shed a tear, to get on their knees, to sing loud, whatever it is, however you would be moved. We are not against the motion. And if you have real spiritual life, it will produce motion. It'll produce motion. If you have real spiritual life, it'll produce religious motion in some way that others can see. But here's the, here's the other side of that. It is possible to have motion that is not a product of spiritual life. Paul had a lethargic walk with God. How does that happen? God says to do this, and you refuse to do it. Paul had a lethargic walk with God, and yet he was using religious motion to cover that up, to compensate for it. The point isn't, well, I need to, I need to get out of the religious motion. No, you need to get right the spiritual life. We settle, here's the danger, we settle for religious motion without spiritual matter or substance. Motion gives the appearance of being loyal to God, but does not produce a life that is consistent with God. Listen, the, the reason our nation is increasingly spiritually indifferent, the reason that churches are fledgling, the reason that people are spiritually uninterested is because of the souls in churches. It's because of the souls who are pastors. Let me just talk about me for a minute. You talk about my occupation and those who would give their lives to the ministry. Paul said to Timothy, he that desires the office of a bishop desires a good work. And, and more than just the desire, I believe God has put it in my heart to give my life to this. And I believe that through, the work, through his work that he's enabled me and given me some ability to be useful in this. But there are pastors aplenty, throughout, religious leaders aplenty throughout history. And I am not immune to this, that have used this, these public displays, to conceal private things. I'm not talking about being perfect. I'm talking about intentionally using this life in order to hide a second kind of life that I'm living. I'm not asking you to be excited about it. I'm just trying to be honest about it. There are pastors that do that, and I'm not immune to that. There are people who attend churches like this, and we think that because of the version of the Bible we use, we think because of the hymns that we sing, we think because of the suit that we're wearing, that somehow God accepts that because of that. You know, you know what pleases God is a broken and a contrite spirit. That's what David said God would not despise. And it's not that I'm against those things that, I'm that I just mentioned. I'm just telling you that if they are not motivated by a heart that wants to obey God and love God in all the areas that God says he's concerned about, then God doesn't receive it. Look, I'm not trying to step on people's toes this morning. I'm just trying to remind you that we don't want the kind of worship that God rejected. We don't want the kind of motion that God rejected. We want the kind of motion that is born out of a walk with God that says, God, I'm doing this not to cover up. I'm doing this because I love you. And the other areas of my life, you know what they bear out? That I love you. So how can we tell? Let me just go through a few things and then I'm done. 
How can we tell that we're settling for religious motion over spiritual life? What are some marks? How can you tell in your own life? Please don't use this to evaluate somebody else. You know what I mean? You, you got enough to deal with you. So for a moment, can you deal with you on this? Just three things that I believe we see in the life of Saul. Number one, we're more concerned with the appearance of right than actually being right with God. We would never say this out loud, but we know that people think good about us when they see us at church. That's okay that people think good about us. Just sometimes we use that as a shield to hide what's really going on. Like, I'm not, I'm not talking about, it, don't, don't misunderstand this. I'm not talking about some kind of spiritual police where you need somebody's approval for how you live your life. I'm talking about deliberate areas where you know your attitude is not right with God or you're concealing some kind of obvious sin that the Bible says. I'm not talking about differences in where we land on certain issues. Man, we've talked about being patient and loving. Are you with me on this? Like, on certain issues, people have varying opinions about that. And that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about those obvious areas where you know you are concealing sin. You're not worried about dealing with that sin. You're just worried about people knowing about that sin. And so this is used to hide that. You're more concerned about looking right than actually being right. You justify disobedience. You blame others. You'll even give token apologies sometimes, but it's more about popularity than it is duty or a relationship with Jesus Christ. Listen, we all need to apologize for something at some point. Somebody say amen to that. Not a person alive hasn't need to ask someone else for forgiveness. We've needed it. I've needed to do it. I will continue to need to do it. You'll need to do it. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about, yeah, I'm going to say I'm sorry because it gets me to the next point that I want to be at rather than trying to be right with God and right with his people. We're more concerned with the appearance of right than actually being right. Number two, we're content to let others do what we know we should be doing. You're content to let others do what you know you should be doing. Real transparency. And you can choose to use these moments of very serious transparency either against me or use them to evaluate your own life. I have been through seasons as a pastor where Andrea has been pulling the spiritual weight in our home. What do you mean? Where I'm just not as engaged as I need to be. I'm not having conversations with my kids. I'm not engaging my wife. I'm not initiating Bible times and prayer times with my children. You say, well, is it wrong for your wife to do that? No, it's not wrong for your wife to do that. But a husband better be involved in it. Okay, you can like that or not. A husband needs to be involved in it. I'm not talking about Andrea not taking initiative. I'm talking about her taking initiative without me being involved or aware or even properly concerned. Isn't it interesting who killed Agag in chapter 15? You know who killed Agag? The preacher did. Aren't you thankful we don't do church that way? Okay, today, people, we got to pull out the sword. Mm. It would, have been on used, it would have been used on me long before, so don't worry about it. I already be operating off of wounds, so it's all right. You know, you know what Samuel did? What Saul wasn't willing to do. And for a person who is using public motion to cover up private deficiencies, they often are content 
to allow other people to do what they know they ought to be doing. It's not, it's not just husbands that have a problem with that. Wives can have a problem with that. No, no, wives can conceal attitudes and can conceal bitternesses and resentments. And you allow, you allow others to do what you know you ought to be doing. Here, here's my concern for missions conference. Brighter at home. You know what one of my concerns is? Is that we're content to let missionaries do what we also ought to be doing here. And we think that giving money, while it's important, it excludes us from having to actively be involved in the other parts of the Great Commission. And it does not. We're content to let others do what you know you should be doing. Number three, you want spiritual leadership to affirm you without ever holding you accountable. Think back, do you remember when Saul was anointed to be king, chosen to be king? Do you remember how insecure he was? You remember that? Like, yeah, I can't do this. He's head and shoulders above everybody else, and he's hiding. It's really hard for a tall guy to hide. Like, hey, he's with the stuff. And so they go, and they find him, and he's so scared. And if you go back and you read through those initial days of Saul becoming king, this is what you find from the prophet, from the preacher. He was very affirming to Saul. He told him, listen, God is with you. God will help you. God will take care of you. And don't you love those messages when it's about the goodness of God and it's about how you can overcome and it's about how even, even when you struggle, God can use you to do great things. Don't you love those messages? That's part of being a religious leader, part of being a preacher, part of the word of God is the affirming truth of it, the grace of it, the love of it. But that's not the only need we have in our life. We need to be held accountable at times. And God gives us a preacher. God gives us a pastor. God gives us a spiritually minded friend who will confront us on issues. And this is a mark of someone who is using motion in order to conceal a lack of spiritual life. They want to be affirmed without ever ever being held accountable. And you can see it when you preach. And you can see what happens in other places as well. Listen, you're all, you're, you're all for it when someone's telling you what a great job you're doing. But then when someone from the word of God confronts you about an area of your life, you completely shut them off, shut them out, and turn everything off because that's not why you want a pastor. That's not why you want a spiritually minded spouse. That's not why you want a spiritually minded friend. You don't want those people in your life to confront you. You want them in your life to affirm you. But sometimes affirmation is not what we need. You know what we need sometimes is confrontation. I'm not talking about being rude or mean. I'm talking about taking the word of God and saying this, this needs to be this way. Young people, young people. You have a mom and dad that will call you out on things you need to thank God for it. Contrary to public opinion, your mom and dad, your mom and dad do not exist to make you feel good about everything. Your mom, <laughs> some of you parents look like you're having trouble with this. I need to get some amens from parents. Your mom and dad do not exist to tell you that all your dreams will come true and you can have whatever you want. They're there 
to teach you how to love God. They're there to teach you how to make the most of the ability that God has blessed you with. They're there to teach you that there is a definite right and a definite wrong. And our society is confused thinking that moms and dads are first supposed to be their children's buddies. No, you're supposed to be their parents. And part of being their parent is telling them, you can't do this, young lady. You can't do this, young man. This attitude is wrong, little sister. This attitude is wrong, young brother. And you need that. Here's how you tell when you're responding the right way to it. (laughs) You humble yourself and you make it right, or you just go through the motions to get what you want. Okay, 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 okay. Okay, can I drive? Can I drive? Say to the other Alex, can I drive? (laughs) All of those aspiring drivers, can I drive? It's not just young men that have a problem with that. It's older men that have a problem with that. You tell me what I want to hear, and I'm good. But if you ever challenge me from the word of God, I'm out. I'm out. Look, I need to be confronted at times. I am confronted at times. You say, how? Sometimes people just come talk to me. You say, hey, I have a great wife who respects the authority of her husband, but who also has a walk with God and has the freedom to tell me when she's concerned about something. And can I tell you, that doesn't always feel good. But I can either get angry or I can say, I really need to accept the confrontation. Don't settle for religious motion without spiritual life. I'm not talking about perfection. I am talking about making sure that religious motion is used as an expression of a life that already is flourishing and growing or at least there's an effort instead of using religious motion to hide what is not being done. Let's all stand together with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. I'm just going to ask one question. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, and you can answer by raising your hand. And please respect the privacy of every, everyone else. You take evaluation of your own life. Obviously, moms and dads, you're aware of your kids and where they need to be. I want to ask you to consider yourself this morning. The, the problem is not religious motion. God wants public religious motion. That's how people come to know him. That's how we're encouraged and helped. God wants public religious motion. The problem is when that public motion is used to conceal what is lacking privately. And so the question is this. In, in one way or another, I wonder if there would be some that would say, I am lacking in some areas of my private spiritual life. Like, don't, nobody else is looking. You're just being honest to God. Say, I'm, I'm concerned about certain private areas of my life that it's not where it needs to be. And that doesn't mean you're saying how bad or how good. You're just acknowledging. And privately, 
I, I, I go through public motion, but privately there are things that need to be better. And, and I want them to be better. But I need God's help to help me to want that and to help me take the steps to improve it. Would you pray for me? I wonder if there would be, yep, I see them. I see them going up. Yeah, Lord bless you. Well, let's do this. As Brother Nate begins to sing, if God has spoken to you, you respond to him, come to the altar, pray. If you want someone to pray with you, I'll be happy to do that. Find a lady to pray with you. Maybe you feel more comfortable there praying in your seat. But whatever God has done, if he's spoken to you, you respond to him right now while Brother Nate sings. Have thine own will, Lord. Have thine own way. Thou art the Father, sure am thankful that we get to be here this morning and thankful for your, for your truth. And uh, Lord, I, in my own life, I need this. And I've, God, I try not to hide this from you privately. I, I need this kind of message in my own life. And uh, I just pray that you'd help your people to understand the spirit of it and, and help us, Lord, to be responsive to you when you deal with us about areas God, you, you understand that we, we're going to sin, and you've made provision for that. And so it's not about sinlessness, but it's about a deliberate abuse of the public expressions of worship in order to conceal private deficiencies. And so, God, would you help us to see in our own life where privately, in our attitude privately, in our walk with you privately, in our ethics privately, in our habits, that there is spiritual life and there is obedience or there is a consistent effort to obey. God, thank you for your people. I pray that you'd use this and use tonight, use Wednesday to prepare us for the week that's ahead on beginning with our missions conference. Thank you again for the guests that are here for everyone that's watching and in attendance, Lord, I pray that you bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Brother Nate is going to come. I uh, want to encourage you to take these messages for how they're intended to be a, a preparation for next week, but then in a, a, greater, uh, a greater way just to help us live the kind of spiritually productive lives that God wants us to live. And uh, don't, don't misunderstand, nobody is perfect. That, that's not the point of this. Just contrast, 
the next king after Saul, who was it? David. Did David mess up? You know what the difference was? David was sincerely broken before God. And Saul was not. Saul used this to hide this. Once this was exposed in David's life, his heart was broken and humble. And he did what was necessary to be right with God. We're not talking about perfection. We're talking about living, trying to live out spiritual life, not just publicly, but in every way that God says matters to him. So let me encourage you to do that. Looking forward to tonight, and we'll be dealing more with just trying to get our hearts ready to hear from God. And I'm also going to be laying out a prayer plan tonight for the week, and excited about that. We're going to be using uh, some of the structure that we used during the, the shutdown uh, to do that, and so I'm excited about all of that. Brother Nate, you come and lead us in a dismissal course. Close out this service with Spirit of the Living God. dismissed.